Please stand if you're able for the reading of the scripture. This is Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The word of the Lord. Good morning to all of you. What a joy it is to see baby Josiah here amongst us. Thanks be to God for that. We could go on and on about Josiah, but we got to talk about judgment. Because that's the passage for today. I don't think I have to make a hard case to you that judgmentalism uh, can be a problem for Christians. That sometimes Christians have had the reputation of being judgmental. And there's some things we'll say about that, and I'll get a little bit into that. But I think judgmentalism is a problem because, for Christians because judgmentalism is a problem, period. Right? If you think... Uh, the church has a monopoly on judging. Just hang out on Twitter for a while. You're not hanging out on Twitter, apparently. <laughs> okay. All right, scratch that one. Jesus is up on a mountain preaching to his disciples. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, these are people who have chosen to follow Jesus uh, in community. And Jesus knows in this community that he's forming that judgmentalism is going to be a challenge, Right? But Jesus also knows that there's going to have to be a way for these disciples to correct each other. So what, he's, what I want to see the movement of this text today is of movement from pride, hypocrisy, and condemnation to humility, mercy, and love. If you're following along, we're in, we're in chapter 7 here, and the first verse is, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. This is a fairly straightforward um, command. I think it is important that we understand what this word judge, mean. judge means. We could hear this and think, uh, this means mind your own business. Okay, you got your relationship with God. I've got my relationship with God. Stick to your own lane. But that's not an accurate understanding of this passage. There would be multiple places in the New Testament that would clearly contradict this, and in fact, later on in Matthew's Gospel, he'll instruct us, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. So this can't be the command to mind your own business. Or maybe another way we can think about this is this command not to judge is to say, um, is just to say as disciples, well, who are we to know? Who are we to know what right is and wrong is? But that can't be what Jesus is asking either. Jesus is asking us as disciples to practice moral discernment, to do the work of figuring out what is right and wrong. Right? In fact, actually, as we, if we come to the end of this sermon on the mount, Jesus will talk about uh, watching out for false prophets who come to us in sheep's clothing but are inwardly ferocious, right? So if we're going to do that, if we're going to be able to discern a false prophet from a true prophet, we're going to have to practice discernment. So it can't be that. It can't just be a, a free-for-all. 
I think what Jesus is putting a stop to is not moral discernment, but is the condemnation of a person. Right? Think about what to condemn means. To condemn typically means to name someone as wrong or bad. Right? There's a difference between saying uh, what you are doing is wrong or, or bad or good and pronouncing someone as wrong or bad. Someone is condemned by God. Scott McKnight suggests the best translation of this verse might be, do not condemn or you too will be condemned. See, what happens is that when we begin to judge someone, when we begin to condemn someone, is that we start to play the part of God. So years ago, there was this uh, famous commercial by Vicks Formula 44, uh, which had the, the actor uh, Peter Bergman. He, he played a, a doctor on the ABC soap opera, All My Children. Do you all remember this commercial? Do you remember watching All My Children? No, no, no judgment, no judgment. <laughs> Uh, the ad begins by Bergman saying, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. And in the, and in the commercial, he goes on to, to give this advice on cough medicine as if he were a real doctor. And the commercial is funny. Go look it up on YouTube when you get home. Uh, the commercial is funny because Bergman is completely unqualified to give any kind of medical advice. He's not a doctor. Playing a doctor on television is not the same as being a real doctor. And see, what happens is when we begin to judge someone, when we begin to condemn someone, we start to play judge, which means we begin to play God. And that means we are playing a role which we are utterly unqualified to play. Why? For one, we are in fact not God, which is a good reminder. Here's the strange thing about this. This can be uh, a particularly challenging for those who know the Bible really well, right? So if you're a, if you're a pastor, a preacher, a Bible teacher, watch out. Why, why might this be? Well, the more you immerse yourself in Scripture, you're immersing yourself in the story of God. You're immersing yourself in the viewpoint of God and, and how God sees the world, God's perspective. So just think about, just, just take the Sermon on the Mount. In this sermon, Jesus is laying out a beautiful vision of the kingdom of God, right? Uh, rather than anger, people are choosing reconciliation. Uh, spouses are faithful to each other. Uh, rather than storing up treasure, disciples are giving it to the needy. They're not worrying about the future. It's a beautiful vision, right? The more we immerse ourselves in this vision, which we should, we're going to recognize how far we and the church falls short of that vision. Right? Now, hear me out. It's not a bad... We want to get the vision, God's vision for the world. We want to move towards that. But the problem becomes is that it's easy to start to confuse seeing the world from God's perspective and thinking we are God. It's like all of a sudden uh, we think we're up with God and God and, and I together are looking down at the people and shaking our heads and thinking, can you believe these people? They're a mess. And God turns to us and says, what are you doing here? You, you don't belong here. <laughs> See, well, what's happened is we've confused seeing the world as God sees it for playing the part of God. We're condemning people, which is a role that does not belong to us. It belongs to God alone. Why are we so unqualified to play this role? Well, for one, our vision, our understanding of the world is so limited 
we only get a partial vision of, of everything. We, for example, cannot read another person's heart. We can't uh, assess another person's motives. Um, think about a time when you were made upset by, by something and you go home after work or, or whatever and you just, on your spouse or a friend, you begin to recount what happened, right? And you begin by laying out the facts, at least the facts in your mind of what happened. But somewhere along the line, usually you move into the role of judge, because now you're not just talking about what happens. You're saying, I think I know what really happened. I know their motive. I know why they were doing this. I think I've got it figured out. You begin to analyze the person. The problem is we're so often wrong. We're just making guesses. We can't see into their heart. We can't read their motives. We can't read their mind. But also, you and I don't know their full story. So often when we're judging someone, we're often saying in our heads, why can't they just do what I'm doing? Why can't they just get this together like I've got it together? But the problem is you don't know their story. You and I don't know their story. You don't know the obstacles that they are facing, that they've faced. You don't know uh, the pain and trauma that they may be working through. You don't know the mountain that they're climbing. And you and I are totally unfit to act as judges because we just don't see things as God does. We're in no position to condemn someone because we're in no position to play God. So that's the first thing I want you to see is that when we judge others, when we condemn others, we're playing a part which is not ours to play. Okay, verse 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So Jesus is now saying, not only are you and I unqualified to play judge, but we have this tendency to be hypocritical. What, what we often do is tend to apply high standards to other people, which we ourselves are not following. Right? If, you, um, if one of your superpowers is judging other people, this is a terrifying text. <laughs> um, you and I do not want to be judged by our own moral standards. Uh, if we just made, uh, it took our whole lifetime and just noted every moral standard that we applied to somebody else, and all of a sudden we then got judged by those standards, we would not be in good shape. We'd be in big trouble. And Jesus is saying, you do not want to do that. You do not want to be judged by your own standards. Okay, so I want to see, I want you to see the movement of this text. We're we're probably starting out in maybe a position of superiority, of pride. We're up on the bench playing judge, and now hopefully we're in a more humble spot. We're in a, more, we're, we're in a place of humility. All right, Jesus keeps going. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? So just in case we think we're still fit to play judges, Jesus takes us over to the carpenter shop, and we have this very, very memorable picture of why we are unfit to play judge. You can, you can hand me that here. Thank you. You can stay up here for a second. Right. So here's the image we get uh, in Jesus' mind. It's a great image, and you never forget it. It looks like this, right? So he's got, we've got a two-by-four in our eye, and I think Jesus is being over the top because he wants you to not forget this. This is likely the only thing you'll remember in this sermon. Um, so right, what we're doing here is I've got the two by four in my eye and I'm trying to 
get this little speck, right? And like a banging her, I'm doing all kinds of damage, all right? Thank you. What's the problem with having a two-by-four in your eye? The problem is you're, you're blind, right? I mean, Jesus is talking about this delicate task of removing a speck out of your brother or sister's eye. And if, you, if you've got that two-by-four in your eye, you're just going to make things worse. And so what Jesus is doing in here is he's calling us to shift our critical gaze from our brother and sister onto ourself. Jesus is calling for radical self-awareness. Jesus, again, Jesus wants this to be a community that can help each other out through loving correction. But if, if, if I, I have to grow into the kind of person that can really do that, right? So like, for example, if I just get the two by four out of my eye, if I deal with my sin, the point is not so that I'll be able to condemn more effectively, right? So that I'll be able to even see more clearly her faults and her sin. No, we're going to have to work on our judgmental spirit, right? As long as you and I have a judgmental spirit, we're not going to be able to help our brother and sister well. I mean, think about from personal experience. Most of us have had an experience where we've been judged, and it's probably unlikely that that brought about meaningful change, right? Typically, when somebody judges us, it tends to move us into more of a place of shame rather than transformation, right? When somebody approaches us or we approach someone with a spirit of self-righteousness and judgment, this is just not a good way to help them out, right? So even if there's something in their life that needs to change, standing over them in judgment is not a good way to go about doing that. Um, And here's the deal. Even if you're not explicitly judging your brother or sister, meaning you're not like articulating your judgment, it's going to leak out of you. People are really, really good at sniffing out judgment, aren't they? I'll at least get an amen for that. I mean, like, <laughs> the other one fell flat, but all right. So people know when they're being, you, you typically know when you're being judged. It just leaks out of a person. And so the problem is not, you've got to work on your spirit. And, and Jesus is saying that starts with working on your own sin. That starts with working on that two-by-four jammed in your eyes. So how do we do that? How do we get that two-by-four out of our eye? Well, there's a lot we could say. Let me just tell you a couple things. One way when you find yourself judging someone else is to ask, ask this is a hard question, but this is seriously, what does this shortcoming, this sin, this irritation in this other person tell me about myself? This is not the natural move here, okay? But think of, you could think about it in your head right now of a time, or you can think about it the next time you find yourself in this situation where you're irritated by someone, where you're, you find yourself judging someone. Rather than asking what's wrong with this person, ask what does this irritation tell me about myself? Uh, Anthony DeMello, he points out there's a very real possibility that the reason why the person's defects or, or so-called defects annoy you so much is that because you have them yourself. Why would we do this? Why would we, why would we judge our own faults in somebody else? Oftentimes, there's a number of reasons why judgmentalism tends to emerge. One of them is insecurity. Oftentimes, we're the harshest judge and critic on the faults that we see in others that exist in ourselves. So I'm going to try to give you just a mundane example. Imagine two people, two people you know are going to go out to have coffee together. And these people tend to be a little self-absorbed, all right? 
Whenever you go out with them, they never ask you about yourself. They just talk about themselves. They never show any interest in you, all right? And you're like, hey, you two should get together for coffee. Have them sit down for an hour, and each of them will walk away completely exasperated with the other person. They will walk away saying, I cannot believe this person. They, they're so self-absorbed. They, I couldn't get a word in. I mean, I'd start to talk, and they would interrupt me. They, they never ask questions about me. What's happening? You're seeing yourself in that other person. You're seeing your own sin, your own fault in that other person. And it's so much easier to judge another person than to turn the gaze back on yourself. Why is that? Let's be honest. Judging feels good in the short term, like temporarily. Why does judging feel good? Well, for a second, we lower them, and in turn, we raise ourselves. Like we, feel, we feel good. There's a reason why we get together with our friends and we begin to judge other people. It feels good. In the long run, it's toxic. It's completely toxic to your soul. But in the short term, it feels good. Turning the gaze back on yourself, seeing your own sin and your own faults, that is hard work. We do not want to go there. Because if we go there and we recognize the sin in ourselves, it means we're going to have to do the hard work of repentance. And that's hard work. It's so much easier to judge that same fault in someone else than to turn the gaze back on ourselves and now stand in the dock. How do we do this? Man, this is hard work. Again, just a couple thoughts here. We talked a few weeks ago about the spiritual discipline of prayer. Again, nothing that Jesus talks about in this sermon is to just be digested in your mind as some kind of insight to go on. Jesus assumes that you are working this into your life. Right? When we get to the end of the sermon... It's not going to be what you heard about the sermon. It's going to be what you worked into your life that Jesus cares about. Spiritual discipline of prayer. This is one of the best spaces that we can go to see the two-by-fours in our eyes. Uh, let me read this from the psalmist. Uh, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I, I mentioned when we were on that spiritual discipline of prayer it's essential that we talk to God. It's also essential that we create space for silence in our prayer life. Why is that? And one, it's to listen to God. Remember, it's a dialogue, not a monologue. But in that silence is where we allow God to search our hearts. I think one of the reasons why we do not like silence is because we're used to distracting ourselves because we are a little bit nervous about seeing ourselves for how we actually are. Think about it. How does that great prayer, the Lord's Prayer, begin? Does it begin with our judge in heaven? No, it begins our Father who art in heaven. If you and I are going to do the hard and vulnerable work of allowing God to examine us, allowing for him to show us the two-by-fours in our eyes and to search our hearts and to see our sin, we're going to have to have two things. One, we're going to have to have the security that God is eager to forgive our sin, and two, we're going to have to trust that the reason why God wants to reveal that sin is so God can heal us. When other people judge us, they don't have our best intention in mind, right? They're not, they're not concerned about our healing usually. God, when God judges you, God is concerned about your healing. He wants that sin to emerge so that God can begin to heal you. So first thing, I mean, there's a lot we could say, but first thing, you've, we've got to have a robust prayer life as disciples. 
We've got to have regular time where we're going before God and allowing God to examine us in the confidence that God loves us and God is eager to forgive. Secondly, we do this in community. Uh, It's so easy to have an idea of what you're good at and what you're not good at or uh, when you're just by yourself, right? When it's not getting tested in real life. So I spent, most of you know, I spent eight years living in an intentional Christian community where I, I worked and worshiped and lived uh, with the same uh, group of people. Community is a wonderful place to learn about yourself. Um, like you arrive thinking that, uh, if you spend your first few years, in my experience, thinking that recognizing all the problems that other people have, and then all of a sudden, if you sit there long enough, you're like, wait, as the writer Taylor Swift puts so well, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem, it's me. I'm the problem. I thought it was them, it's me. I'm the problem. It's hard to live in Christian community with people because eventually that facade will fall down. You can't keep that facade and live close to people. Christian community, and Christian community meaning us, is messy. We're gonna, people are going to see things about ourselves that we don't want to see about ourselves because we're going to get a more accurate picture of our sin and brokenness the more we integrate our lives with other disciples. It's one of the many reasons that the Bible just has no understanding of following Jesus alone. It just, there's no category in the Bible for following Jesus alone. It's always in community because we need each other for so many reasons, but one of those reasons is that other people help us reveal our own brokenness, and sin. Cool, let's, let's orient ourselves where we are. We're, we've been dethroned. We're no longer the judge. Uh, we've been reminded that we're not God. We've hopefully been moved from a place of condemnation and self-righteousness to a place of humility. And now uh, we've, we're doing the hard work of self-examination, right? We're now we're not looking at the speck. We're, we're, we're doing the work to, to, to identify the two-by-four and get it out of there. Um, Right? It, this is probably, this is hard work. It should also make us feel lighter. Like maybe even along the way we can begin to laugh at ourselves. Like if this, if you, laughing at yourself and your own foibles is a great way to tell like I'm on the right track, right? I'm, I, we need to be able to learn to laugh at ourselves. And we also realize that thankfully God doesn't judge us like we judge others, okay? God is merciful. God is quick to forgive. Finally, if we're going to be compassionate with others, we're going to have to be compassionate with ourselves, right? People who are not compassionate with themselves are usually not very compassionate with other people. How do we become compassionate with ourselves? Again, we're going to have to be driven to Jesus in one way. Jesus has compassion for us. We're going to have to receive the compassion of Jesus so that we can have compassion on ourselves and then we can be compassionate to others. So, We're not standing over our brother or sister. We're standing by them as one in need of mercy and grace, just like they are. And now we're finally ready to remove the speck. And we can't miss this last instruction. It'd be easy to end the sermon there, but we've got to see this last instruction of Jesus because he's assuming you're going to remove the speck. Um, I told you Jesus wants to move us as disciples from pride, hypocrisy, and condemnation to humility, mercy, and love, right? And we've got to make sure we're not confusing tolerance with love, right? This tends to be kind of an un, not very well thought out, kind of a wider de- definition of love sometimes in our society. 
But just to, just to note, it falls way short of our understanding of love as Christians. Again, my, I've said this before, I think my favorite definition of love comes from Thomas Aquinas, and he says, to love is to will the good of the other. To will the good of the other. It's not tolerance. Tolerance is really pretty easy. You just go your own way and leave them. No, if I'm going to love, I'm going to will your good. And that's hard. We all know what a poor witness to Jesus our judgmental spirits have been. But we can't miss this. Right? You know, just imagine if you go to your doctor and he or she does the checkup and they find something that's really bad in there and they just decide not to tell you because it's going to be too hard. Right? That's not love. That's not care. So we, we must surrender the practice of judging our brother and sister, but not the practice of helping them discern sin in their life. Now let's remind ourselves, Jesus is speaking to a community of disciples. He's using the language of brother, meaning a fellow disciple. Uh, in other words, these, are, these instructions are to people who have committed their lives to Jesus. And this is important to us for a couple reasons. One, our motivation to correct them is to get them, help them get back on the track on the path of discipleship. Like, if I'm going to you to correct you, to deal with my own anger, to deal with my own, to feel better about myself, I need to just pause and back up, right? I need to make sure if I'm going to go to you to help you remove that speck, I've got your best intentions or mine. It's for your benefit. But I think we also need to recognize that this is to a community of disciples. This is not, to me, it doesn't seem like Jesus is saying to go and, and remove specks from people who are not in community with as Christians, right? I think one of the reasons probably Christians have the reputation of being judgmental is because we have these standards. Like we, those of us who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ, who have professed Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we've got some standards, no doubt about it. You cannot profess Jesus as your Savior and Lord and not have a lot of standards. Other people have not made that same decision. And it doesn't work to apply standards for, for us as disciples to people who have not even made that commitment to Jesus. And in fact, it's going to likely just drive them further away because you're judging them by standards that aren't even their standards. So Jesus is talking to a community of disciples. One final thing, what is it like to be on the, on the other end? Like we've talked the whole time about what it's like to not judge your brother or sister and to remove the speck, but what about when someone comes and removes the speck from your eye? It does not feel good. Even if that person has done all that work to not be in a place of condemnation, to have done the, own, uh, the self-awareness work, if they come and point out that speck, it's not going to feel good, even if it's just a speck. One of the things I think helps myself is to remind myself that that person is giving me a gift. This is, again, counterintuitive, but I heard a pastor years ago say, when someone is criticizing me, I try to remind my, try to see them as someone who's bearing gifts. That has helped me so much, right? Because oftentimes when people criticize us, a lot of the stuff is maybe not true or maybe not. But usually always they're on to something. They're pointing out something for a reason. And how can that be a gift? That's a gift because they're helping us to see something that we typically miss, Right? They're, they're exposing something in us that we don't see, and they're helping us, even if they're not doing it in the right way, they're helping us become more mature disciples. Jesus is laying out this vision for disciples then and for disciples now. He's got this vision of a community that, that love each other so much that they cannot condemn each other, 
but they love each other so much that they cannot ignore the sin in their brother or sister's life. Where self-righteousness and condemnation has been replaced by loving correction. And now, not only does Jesus do that, but he, 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 he does it with his life. You know, Jesus was the one person who had the right to walk on earth and condemn others. And yet, what do we read in the Gospel of John? For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Let's pray. God, we give thanks to you that you are a God who comes to us not with condemnation, but with your Son, Jesus with the desire to save us, to, to make us whole, not just in one day, but to make us whole now, to heal us, Lord. I ask for healing for each of us in the ways, the areas of our life that are broken, that are not uh, the way of disciples that you've called us to be. I pray, Lord, that we would be a community that would integrate our lives together, that we would not just stay so far apart from each other that we never... Uh, even see these things, Lord, but that we would become people who are transformed by your love and your spirit uh, into people who are not self-righteous but are humble and loving, Lord. Lord, we need your spirit if we are to become these people. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.